things that shaped my life, I would say dinosaurs and Santa Claus. For sure. Dinosaurs, man, I loved them. When I was a kid, I, I could get enough of dinosaurs. In fact, I had dinosaur like blankets and dinosaur sheets and dinosaur rugs and figurines and movies and wallpaper. Dinosaur underwear, which I still wear. <laughs> well, maybe, well, no, I don't, but that'd be tight and inappropriate. I guess unless you're in Europe or something. I'm not sure. But that's not the point. The point is, I love dinosaurs. When you were a kid, you were into something, okay? When you were a kid, you were into something. Unfortunately, it never really left, and you still like Elmo. So... I think there's, when I was a child, I thought like a child. When I had oh. Tickle Me Elmo, then I still have Tickle Me Elmo. I fight for Elmo. That tickles me. Listen, I love dinosaurs, okay? I couldn't get enough of them. Like, I ate, drank, slept, breathed dinosaurs. When Steve, are you recording me right now? Okay, hey, how you guys doing today? We're here at chapel, and hopefully this won't be uh, breaking any copyright rules or anything like that. Anyway, man, I tell you what, I love dinosaurs. Couldn't get enough of them. I, I, I mean, I love... When Steven Spielberg came out with the whole Jurassic... How many of you guys seen Jurassic Park, okay? <clears throat> when he came out with that movie, I wanted that dude to be my dad. I was like, Steven, come here within. Just, Father, away with you. By the way, there's a huge clock in the front. And what is your name? Sydney. Sydney? I think we should get Sydney a chain... And I think he should be the official clock keeper. And he should wear this. He has to come into chapel. Yo, yo, check it! <laughs> Just an idea. Flavor, Flav! Okay, listen. I love dinosaurs, okay? Some of you remember, you guys remember what you were into when you were a kid? Some of you was G.I. Joe, some of you was MacGyver, some of you was like Hello Kitty, and it was like, My Little Pony? My little pony, my little pony, he got slaughtered and turned into glue. My little pony. Some... I'm sorry, but it's true. They make glue out of horses' hooves. Okay, Google it. I love dinosaurs. I had never seen one, you guys, but to be honest with you, Corey, I wanted to be a biblical... Doc, I wanted to be a biblical archaeologist. Okay? I wanted to have my office just a wreck. You know, just like papers everywhere. Wear khaki pants. Maybe a, like some cool Indiana Jones hat. Labeled a genius because I have no organizational agility. But in reality, I'm like really smart and stuff. That's what I wanted to do. Like, I had this guy that was an archaeologist. He used to take me out on digs as a kid like to find stuff that we would dig for. And it was amazing. Okay? We never really found much, but it was fun. And like, I, dude, I, I loved it, okay? I, I absolutely loved it. Uh, I, I found out that dinosaurs were created and how God created the earth and how fossils were made. When God made the earth, I don't know if you know this or not, but the earth was made and the waters he separated from the earth and the heavens. And it actually, the Bible shows like this picture of there's water on earth and then there was like this layer of water around us, like this huge hyper-ozone layer. And when the flood came, he opened up the waters from the deep and he opened up the waters from the heaven and the water came from all directions. And the only way something's fossilized is if it's encased in mud and water very quickly. I mean, you've got a lot of squirrels around here, I've noticed. <laughs> and if a squirrel dies on the 
surface of the earth, it just dies and decays, but if it is encased in mud, or, mud and water very quickly, then it becomes a fossil. And in Job chapter 40, if you've never read Job chapter 40, it's real easy. Just go, and if you don't even have a Bible to read, just stay at a hotel once and take it out of the drawer. $59.99, you can get one to it, like a Super 8. Just take it, they won't mind. But the point is, is in Job chapter 40, there's, a, there's definitely an animal that he's describing, and I guarantee it's, it's not one you can go see at the zoo today. I mean, like dinosaurs, I was hooked, line and sinker. I loved them. But I'm doing the math, okay? I'm doing the math on what does this pay? Like, what, how do you, what does a biblical archaeologist pay? Like, what is, okay, if I did all this, and then what, what's the salary? And it didn't pay very good. So I decided to become an artist. <laughs> My math has never been very good. I never seen one, but I love dinosaurs. Santa Claus, on the other hand, totally different story. I mean, whether you're... Well, I grew up in a family, and I don't, I, you maybe grew up like this, and some of you may have not, but I grew up in a family that I knew Christmas around the holiday time. It wasn't about the presents or Santa Claus. It was about this, the birth of Christ that we celebrate. But my mom wanted to take me to Santa Claus just because she loved scrapbooking. <laughs> You laugh, but some of you are scrapbookers. They have scrapbooking conventions, like with special scissors with declave edges and like little... They scrapbook. Your grandma's... You probably... Are you clapping because you scrapbook? Awkward. I love... Well, I love dinosaurs, but Santa Claus is a totally different story, okay? My mom wanted to take me to the mall to sit on Santa Claus's lap because he's at all the other malls at the same time across the world. And she takes me. We stand in line forever, and we finally get up there. First of all, there's guys in green tights, and that's weird. She sits me on Santa Claus's lap, and as a young boy, I get a little nervous. In fact, I get scared, so I start freaking out. I'm trying to get away from Santa Claus. I'm like struggling. He's not letting me go. In fact, he's trying to hold me down and ask me questions. Very personal questions, like what do I want for Christmas? That's my list, buddy. I don't just share that with anyone. So my mom's in the back, take the picture! And I struggle more, and Santa Claus, hold still, kid! And I'm like, you know, and so I start punching Santa Claus to get away. And so my mom's in the back. I'm traumatized, crying like crazy. And I'm like... <laughs> and that's the picture they take. That's the picture. All the way, that goes out to grandmother. Me? Just like that. So at school, when all my friends were finding out you-know-what about you-know-who, I don't want to ruin Christmas for some of you guys. You're like, what? No. <laughs> Who? You mean the tiny reindeer? No, you know what I'm saying. When it came time to find out, hey, Doc, you know what I mean? You know what about you know who? <laughs> Everybody's all bummed out, and I'm like, yes! Woohoohoo! I couldn't believe I was so happy because my first experience with Santa was absolutely traumatic. And life is like that. Your life is like that. I don't know where you are in your faith with Christ, I don't know why you're at this school what your reason for choosing this school or not, whether you're going into ministry or not. 
whether you're going to be a lawyer or I don't it doesn't matter right now to me. All I'm saying is no matter what your story has been, your story and my story, it shapes our lives. Our experiences shape who we are. Our real life tangible experiences shape who you are. The longer you live, the more experiences that you have, the more data you can pull from. That like a compass drives this like center line down the life, down this road of your life. And when you're approached with something, you have like this data because, I mean, we're talking about food or people or places or countries, maybe even faiths. I mean, think about this. How many of you would say to me, Eric, I love sushi. Raise your hand. I love it. It's my favorite. How many of you are like me? And you would say, sushi tastes disgusting. Like, I want my fish deep fried with, like, some sort of tartar sauce and a lot of it, okay? So think about that for a second. When you first tried sushi, you did one or two things, and so then you either liked it or it was okay, and then you developed more and more and more, or your first-time experience with sushi, when you've tried it, you were just like, no way, never again. See, our experiences shape who we are, and it becomes this yes-or-no equation that we can answer on a daily basis. Some of you, and if you want to get ready on that track, I'll have you roll it in just a moment. Some of you have had an experience with this person, and it shaped who you are. And rather than tell you, I just would rather show you.
You see, in reality, some of you have had... By the way, teach me. Let me just tell you who can teach you. The Holy Spirit can reveal and bring to remembrance all things. I've never taken an art class in my life. I've never taken an art class in my life. I've failed speech class. I failed freshman composition, but I'm an author, a speaker, and a communicator. When God gets a hold of your weaknesses, you can only boast in Him. And the greatest thing you'll ever use in your life, I don't care where you're at, where you're sitting, if you have a relationship with Him or not, when you submit your life, and not only your life, but your talent, skills, and abilities, and above all that, your weakness, He is made great. He can do things in you that you never thought possible, but you just got to give it to Him. Teach me. That's my prayer today, is to be able to teach me. As, as God has taught, He's revealed to me, I so pray that this chapel would reveal to you. Father God, as we look at Your Word, as we look at the areas in our life where we need to repaint Jesus, give us the strength, give us the manhood and the womanhood, but not only do, not only hear what the gospel says, what your word says, but, but say and do. But carry it out. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, you, your life experience has shaped who you are. And some of you have had an experience with Christ. And to be honest with you, some of you have had an experience with Christ that's been more like a Santa Claus one. And you go to this school, this Eastern Nazarene University, this Christian school, and you carry with yourself and within your heart this picture of Christ, this distorted picture of the Gospel about who Jesus is, what it means to be a Christian, what His body, what His church is truly about. You've carried these mis misconceptions for far too long. And I say that the greatest thing that you learn at this university is not what you can be taught in a textbook, what, what God would reveal to you in your heart, that He is real. And I'm asking you, if you've come into those doors in this chapel, mandatory or not, having faith in Him and trusting your life or not, I'm asking you, the misconceptions of your heart this next semester, the places where you don't think God... If you carry an upside-down picture of who Jesus is because what somebody said, what they did, maybe what they didn't do, I'm asking you to just lay that aside and realize this that it wasn't God who hurt you. It wasn't God who painted those misconceptions to you. It was man falling short. It was man operating out of sin in a carnal nature that gave you a misconception of who Christians are. And so too often it's because they're just an adjective. It's a word they use to describe their life. It's not a noun that loves verbs. And I would pray that you would encounter real Christians that are not adjectives but nouns that would restore, repair, teach, disciple, love, go and send in your own life and the misconceptions of the Gospel that you came to this school with, you'd walk from this and it would be the single most thing that would be the greatest thing you would ever learn from this university. It's a simple concept that there are people that can repaint Jesus and you become one of those that start to wipe out the misconceptions of the Gospel that exists on this earth, not with what we say, but what we do. That's you. I'm sorry that that happened. I'm sorry that that happened. But don't hold God accountable for man's shortcomings. One will always fail you. Jesus will never. And I'm asking you, maybe for the first time, just say, God, reveal yourself to me. Not to my mom and dad. Not to my grandfather. Not to the president of the university or Corey. Reveal yourself to me. 
repaint yourself to me. It doesn't take very long, you guys. It doesn't take very long to turn on the radio, look at the news, watch the political structure. I mean, you can literally go down, put on the internet. I mean, look at the portraits of Christ that are being painted, of the church, of the gospel. And sometimes I wonder, as you do too, if they're even reading the same book that you can get in a hotel drawer. Sometimes I wonder if they're even reading the same Bible I do. The guy in New York, I see him all the time. He wears the shirt, God hates so-and-so. No, he doesn't. That's not what it says in here. The woman at the bottom of her emotional well as she walks into an abortion clinic, whether her sin has brought her there or circumstance has brought her there, it doesn't matter to me. It didn't matter to Jesus at the woman at that well, and it shouldn't matter to us. Sometimes it's hard for us to get past people's sin or past the circumstance and we go one or two options, but sometimes we need to see people the way that Jesus sees them from the inside out. Because man looks on the outside, God looks at the heart. And so too often, a woman walks in at the bottom of her emotional well and there's a Christian, a quote-unquote Christian, in quotes, an adjective. And they throw stones or they say words to her. And they paint a portrait of the Gospel in her greatest moment of need. And what do you think her answer is going to be when a true follower of the way, someone who is known by what they not say but what they do, how they love, what happens when they ask her and offer her real healing that can only come through the cross, a relationship with Christ? What do you think her answer is going to be if she's had a Santa Claus experience? The answer is going to be, I know what you're about. And I want nothing to do with you your God, your church, or your faith. See, that's where we come in. We have to repaint Jesus. We have to find the misconceptions of the gospel that exists in this world. The misconceptions of what the church is, who Christians are, and repaint Jesus. Not with what we say, but with what we do. To live our lives in such a way that it draws people to Jesus, doesn't push people from Him. To have people recognize that we have had an encounter with the living God because how we love recklessly, how we give generously, how we would lay down our life for somebody else. See, when, when we're just our adjectives, it's just, just a marketing term. Christian something when we really start painting a portrait of Christ with our actions, that's when we find the misconceptions of the gospel that exist even in this town, even on the campus of this university, and on the other side of the world. That's when we start to paint a portrait of Christ that I think, to be honest with you, gives them honor. Now, in our best day, we can never really paint the the, the perfect picture, but we can sure strive for righteousness and do the best we can to love people and realize that our life is on display like a coliseum and people are watching every move you make. And you may be the only Jesus that they ever see. Jesus outlines a story in a very amazing portion of Scripture. And for the sake of time, I I really can't go through it word by word, but you may have heard it. It's in Luke chapter 10, picking up in verse 30. 
A man was walking from point A to point B in this story. Jesus is telling this story like only He can, and it's in red letters. If you ever read your Bible and you see red letters, they're pre-highlighted for you. I feel like every time I read the red letters, it's kind of like God saying to Eric, hey, um, could you pay attention to this, please? And Jesus is answering this question that he's been asked with another story. Like only Jesus can. He's a master at this. And these, these Pharisees walk up to Jesus and they simply said, hey, these keeper of the law, these people say, hey, Lord, how do we like do this stuff? Like eternal life and uh, follow you. And they come with, and Jesus says, you've got to do this, this, and this. And they say, well, we've done all that stuff. And he goes, well, then you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, well, then who's our neighbor? And these guys wanted to check it off on a list. They just said, well, who's our neighbor? Show us our neighbor. Where are they? So we can just go love them and, you know, make sure we got this checked off too. And then Jesus responds with this story that a man was walking from point A to point B and he just was walking. He didn't owe anyone any money. He wasn't in trouble. Out of nowhere, outside these dumpsters or the Dunkin' Donuts or the big, huge, massive purple birch that's probably like 500 years old, these guys walk around and they literally beat this guy up. They beat, beat, him, beat him senseless, take all of his clothes, leave him bloodied and bleeding at the side of the road. I mean, just laying there like a piece of roadkill, like a squirrel that you see like countless times on the highway or on the streets where cars hit him. That's this guy. He's just walking along and then all of a sudden, boom, naked, bleeding, left for dead. This first guy that walks by in the store, you can read about it right here on verse 31, but a first man is a priest and he comes walking along this road. Now, a priest at this time wore an outfit. Now, if you would ask me, you look at me, what do you do, Eric? Well, I look like I'm redoing my basement or something. But a priest at this time had a gown. He had an outfit. He had people that were with him. He had this like big flowing robe with like uma cum laude tassels and like Roman candles and sparklers and stuff shooting out of his sleeves, okay? Everywhere he went. And smoke machines and, you know, like that's... He had like this stuff, right? So you could see a priest coming just by the way he was dressed and the people that were with him and the incense and the smoke that was burning and you knew that guy is a priest. He's in charge of a body of believers. He's in charge of the people of God. He's on the clock 24-7. He teaches you and I how to love each other and how to love God. He's the one that wore the tassels and the, the, he's the one that wore the bells and went into the Holy of Holies. And this was the man. He's supposed to love people. In fact, that's his job. He's on, he goes to a Christian university. He goes to Eastern Nazarene. And people see a student coming and they go, they go to a Christian school. They live by this creed and they have this concept. And this man laying here, uh, like with one eye swelled shut, naked and bleeding all over the gravel, sees this priest coming. He, he's got to be thinking. He's got, it's not in Scripture, but I'm just asking. He's got to be thinking. Man, there's one guy I want on this road. It's, it's a priest to walk down this road. This guy's got to help me. And this priest gets to the point where the man is. And he looks at him, and he goes, Ugh. And he keeps walking. Leaves him for dead. A very religious picture of the gospel is painted in this moment. A very religious picture. You see, if your faith in the God that created everything that you see, the God that sent His Son to die, 
and then sent the Holy Spirit to, to work in His stead? If your faith is just knowledge, if it's just a bunch of head knowledge and it's not here, you're going to leave people for dead. If it's just a gown you put on once a week, just a mask you wear, just a Christian university you go to, everywhere you go for the rest of your life, you're going to encounter need and you're going to leave them for dead. Because religion kills. Religion leaves people for dead. But a relationship restores, repairs. And then another man comes walking on this road, a Levite. Now this Levite is like a right-hand man to the priest. It would be like your president and vice president or like your principal and vice principal. And it's like a right-hand man. He's their helpers to the priest. And so maybe this guy's thinking, well, the priest has got stuff to do. He's got a midterm to study for or whatever the case is. He's got an offering to count, but he sent his helper. He sent his Levite. He's the guy that does stuff. He's, he, this guy's going to get work done. And he comes up to the man and he looks at him and he leaves him for dead and he keeps walking. whole other message on where you want to go is who you're following. I mean, we don't have to spend too much time on this, but your mom may have told you who you hang around with is who you're going to become. There it is in verse 32. Where you want to go? How far do you want to go? Who are your spiritual fathers? Who's pouring into your life because you're going to follow in their footsteps when you don't know even where they walked? And then a little while later, a Samaritan comes walking. Now, this Samaritan is a lot like if you ever went to high school, you had like a rival sports team, or we see it all the time. Like it's like for me, it was Berlin High School. I went to this little town in Wisconsin. 1,600 people, and that was our rival. That, that we, at homecoming, we played them. It was this big, long school tradition. Like that was, the, that was the game of the year right there. And people would ask me, why don't you guys like Berlin High School? And I was like, ugh. <laughs> Nobody knew. I mean, that was just the way it was. High school culture, that's just the way it was. That's the way it always has been. That was our rival. And no one could really put their finger on why. They just didn't. A Samaritan at this time is a lot like that. People of a long time ago forgot why they don't like these people. They just don't. I mean, there was a list at one time where they kind of said, but those were those people, and these are these people. Eh? Ah, that's how it went down. And so the Samaritan is walking on this road, and this guy that's laying here now with one eye totally swelled shut, he looks and he goes, oh, the priest just coasted over me? And then his helper, the guy that usually is the guy that's doing the work anyway, like if there's lights to be shut off or, like, or somebody puked on the carpet or something, he's going to go clean it up. Or, like, now he left me for, the, for dead and then now I've got this Samaritan coming? Are you kidding me? There's no way this guy's going to help me. He didn't even like me. In fact, I don't even know if I want him to help me. And the Samaritan walks up on this road and his heart jumps. It takes pity. It has compassion. That's what God uses. In verse 33. This is a great litmus test for you. When you're walking down the road of your life, you're confronted with need, whether it directly impacts you or not, whether it has anything to do with your life or not, and your heart doesn't jump, there's something wrong with your heart. You stop seeing the world that the way Jesus wants you to see the world. I've lived there. It's a dangerous place to live. For me, it's busyness. What keeps my heart jumping is sometimes the busyness. And you guys are busy. 
I know what it felt like to be in college. All of the pressure and all the classes and all the financial stuff that you got to deal with and like 20 bucks might as well be like 2 million. I know what that feels like to sit right where you sat. For me now in the stage of life that I'm in, it's busyness. I travel 200 days a year, speak to over a million people every year. Believe me, that's not a feather in my cap. That's just simply saying the one thing that keeps me from my heart jumping is me running to an airport and sometimes I look at a guy at a bar that's flipping his wedding ring and I can see he's in tears and he's making a decision to leave his wife or stay with his wife or to do something on a business trip that he's going to regret. And there's been times when I needed to walk towards that man but I chose to get on the plane and with all my heart I can say that I've regretted that. I know what it feels like. Point number one, if there's a point today, is when your heart jumps, you need to walk towards the need, not away from it. When your heart has a prick, when it feels compassion, walk towards the need. Don't walk on on your day. Don't just keep going. Take a second and ask God, hey, is this, should I do this? Do you want me to help with this? Is this something that you're leading me? do is my life like a train and that person's life was like on a train and we were on two tracks and for whatever reason you've had them collide today because the Samaritan does what sometimes I fail to do his heart jumps and he doesn't keep going he walks right over to the man and he looks at him and he says he's bleeding and what does he do he goes back to his packs that are on his donkey and they're donkey packs that's the that's the uh, the, the Greek it's it's donkey packs that's what it means it's this really neat word for packs of donkey. And he goes inside there, and inside his donkey packs, he's got oil and wine, hydrogen peroxide, and gauze. Point number two is when you walk towards the need, God will confirm it because He will already equip you to meet that need. He will give you the strength and the faith, even on your body, something as simple as a pen to meet that need, to begin that restoration of that person. So he bandages him up. He, he, he fixes his initial bleeding and then he picks him up and he puts him on the back of his donkey. Now a priest was walking. A Levite came walking. Even the man that got beat up was walking, but the Samaritan came walking with a donkey. He had something above and beyond what he needed to get from point A to point B in this story. Something above and beyond that he didn't need in his life. It was an abundance. It was a blessing. And we're blessed. You've got shoelaces. You're blessed. You ever go on a family vacation or a trip and you fold a bunch of clothes and you get back and you realize a bunch of your suitcases still folded? We're blessed. Right where you sit. And He uses His blessing for somebody else. He uses His abundance for somebody else. He takes him on this road and then he gives what sometimes is your most precious item where you sit right now in this stage in your life. He gives of his time. He gives of his time because the next day, you can read right here in verse 35, the next day, he has a conversation with this innkeeper. The next day, now we could argue 11.59 p.m. to 12 a.m. and one minute had passed. We can argue that, but in the way that the Scripture is written and Jesus is telling the story, it's dawn to sunrise or at sunrise to dawn or sunset. That's what I mean. You know, I'd be like, whoa, the sun just never goes anywhere. <laughs> Wait, that's when Joshua stood still. Okay, that's back here. Different story. Okay, so the point is, it's like the next day, 24 hours pass, and then he has a conversation with this innkeeper. 
And then he gives him a couple coins and says, here, here you go. Gives up his money. And Jesus says at the end of the Scripture, and you can read it in a book you can find in a hotel drawer, in verse 37, go and do likewise. Not go and say, not go and talk about it, not go and think about it, not go and, oh, not go and just have compassion and pity. Walk towards the need, pick people up. Use of your time, your resources, your blessing. Empower other ministries, other people that can continue the restoration in your stead. Go and do likewise. Go and say no. Go and do likewise. I think sometimes when Jesus says us to us to go and do, maybe we should. And I think, can I submit, when we go and do, not just say that the real portrait of Christ is being painted on a local national and global scale that brings him honor. He calls us to be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He calls us to be his witnesses to right here in Eastern Nazarene, right here in the city of Boston, right here in the United States, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Not one or the other, but both. You don't get to choose where you get to be his witness. You don't get to choose where you want to repaint Jesus. You do both. That's when we paint a portrait of Christ. And that's my challenge for you today, is to repaint Jesus. Not only on a local level, but on a global level. I've got just a couple minutes left, and I want to just simply say this. I was sitting on a lawn chair in the middle of Pennsylvania. It wasn't my turn to speak. There's 65,000 people there waiting for me to say something to them. And I'm eating a funnel cake. And by the way, if funnel cakes are in heaven, I'm going to be somewhat disappointed. I'm just going to be like, Lord, I thought you said there was no suffering. What's up? What's up with the no funnel cake rule? How to be your name, but where's the funnel cake? I'm sitting there eating a funnel cake, and this guy gets up in front of people, and he starts talking about these stats. Not these stats, but stats like this. By the time you got up this morning, and the time you go to bed tonight, 30,000 children will die in a ditch. They'll die in a hospital bed. They'll die in their mother's arms because they can't get food. They can't go to a beautiful cafeteria with an awesome meal plan and pick out what pasta they want for the day. They can't go and just give them a couple bucks for some sustenance in a a cup. They can't do that. They can't walk into a a grocery store 24 hours a day and get food. So they die because of a hunger-related cause. They can't go to number one and pay and pick it up at window number two. They can't do that. 30,000 kids die today. Every 15 seconds, someone dies on this earth because they can't get what I hold in my hand. They can't go to the gas station and pick out what flavor of water they want. The time you listen to a song on the radio, 12 girls are sold into a trade into a district full of red lights where they're picked out of a window, not like a computer or new pair of shoes, but like a piece of meat. And their purity is taken from them 10 to 40 times a day for 20 bucks. It's the world we live in. I know sometimes it's easy if you're like me to get a little overwhelmed. I'm just one college student. I'm just one guy. But notice Jesus in the story of Luke chapter 10, He doesn't say, go and find 30,000 people that are laying at the side of the road. He says, go and find one. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get a little overwhelmed and I ask God, why? 
Why is all this poverty? Why is all this sickness? Why with all the darkness? If you spoke the world into existence, how come you can't just speak it out? In the middle of a hut in Uganda, Africa, I stopped asking the question, why? And I started asking God, what's my role? I stopped asking God, where are you? And I started asking God, where are your people? Among this poverty. It's a game changer. It's a game changer. So I'm sitting there, and he starts talking about these stats, and then he starts talking about this organization called Compassion International. And I stopped listening because it's a child sponsorship organization. I heard the cup of coffee a day speech. I grew up feeling bad eating my turkey sandwich when I walked the TV. I know about it. In fact, I was raised in the church. I've seen it, man. I just stopped listening. In fact, I got up to leave and God just, my heart jumped and I walked to this table. I walked over to this table and I looked at these, the cutest little girl I could find from Nicaragua. Her name was Crystal, and the, the compassion... I didn't know that now that I know then, okay? I, I, excuse me, I didn't know then as I know now about compassion. But compassion works through the local church. It's not just a bunch of white guys flying in on choppers, chucking food out, saying, good luck with life. <laughs> they empower the local body. There's a lot of... You spoke in Creole. I was like, whoa. But it's Haitians reaching Haitians. Africans reaching Africans. There's something powerful about that when the kingdom of God empowers the kingdom of God on the ground to be the church. Not just come in and like play church, but be the church from the ground up. Compassion works through the local church. 83 to 86% of every dollar actually goes to the kid, one of the most fiscal nonprofits on the planet today. They give them food, clothing, medical. And they do it all in Jesus' name, unapologetically, in Jesus' name. You can read on every packet of every kid or every piece of literature, and it says, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. Can I say that's something that resonates with me? Because when, when social justice is trendy, when doing good things is awesome, and wristbands and product this and product that, can I say that justice is not justice without justice for the soul? That you can go and feed your generation, can go solve malaria, but if you don't give them Jesus, can I say that you didn't give them anything? And so I didn't know that then as I know now. I walked over and I filled out the back of this. I put it on my debit card because it was 38 bucks, and if you put it on your debit card or credit card, it comes out the next month. And so I filled it out because I had to come up with the 38 bucks. to be honest with you. I canceled the cable in my house. My wife and I started splitting Starbucks and we shut off the satellite radio that my mom and dad had purchased for us a couple Christmases ago in our van because we traveled 50,000 miles a year. That's what we did. We had to make a sacrifice. I mean, or so we think sometimes. Oh, I don't have satellite radio. I've got to listen to normal radio. So I fill out the back of this form, okay, and I write a letter. Inside here, my wife says, you can write a letter to Crystal. So I said, let's write her a letter. You know what I thought, and all my skeptics said, I thought that the skepticism, that the letter went up in a chute, went over to the bank, and went in the middle of Arizona, where there's a guy speaking Swahili, a couple guys speaking Creole, a couple guys speaking, and they're all writing letters. <laughs> like in crayon with their left hand, so it looks legit. I like football, or as you call, soccer. That's what I thought. So I called Compassion. I said, I want to go meet this girl that I sponsored, this girl that was, her picture was on that packet. I want to go stand in her doorway at her house. And Compassion just simply said, sure, when do you want to go? 
I was like, that wasn't the answer I was expecting. <laughs> so I got on a flight from Minneapolis, Minnesota to Houston, Texas to Managua, Nicaragua. The pastor of the local church came, the pastor of the Compassion Project came. It wasn't just like this field rep that had the same color of skin that I did. The pastor, the Nicaraguan pastor picked me up, took me on like this death cab taxi ride. <laughs> Finally got to this house and we walked down these two square miles, two and a half square miles city dump where $400 a year is the average income. Crystal's grandfather and her father and I mean you go down the list 400 bucks I have a phone that's in my back pocket that's worth 400 bucks the year you can imagine what 38 bucks does six trips to McDonald's a month is 38 dollars look how good you can look sponsoring kids <laughs> so we finally get to this house that looks like a laundry basket flipped upside down and we knock on this door and the door swings open it's this big Nicaraguan woman there named Isabella and she looks at me and her eyes get huge. She looks at my wife and her eyes get even bigger. And she says, Erico, Daniela, you've come. I'm thousands of miles from home and this woman knows my name. She knows my name. She grabbed me with like this Hulk Hogan vice grip. <laughs> like this wrestling move, I'm telling you. And I started to cry. I'm a basket case, you know, during like extreme home makeover edition when they move the bus, you know. I'm like, put the bus back. <laughs> Change the channel. My wife's crying, I'm crying, she's crying. Through my tears, I look over the shoulder and I see this little girl that once was just a picture to me and now she's standing in the flesh. And my heart broke. And then it shattered when her mother pushed me out from her body. And she says, Eric, thank you for rescuing my daughter. Thank you for being Jesus to my family. I'll never forget those words. I told the God that created me, I will always be a voice for the voiceless. I will always stand in the way of darkness and speak for those who can't speak for themselves. So I came here to challenge you to repaint Jesus, not only locally, but globally. And as you leave, you're going to walk by a table and it's going to be to your left. And I brought hundreds of kids for you to sponsor. And you have to make a decision who you're going to be. Are you going to walk by the need or walk towards it? I'm asking you to repaint Jesus with me and sponsor a kid. Make a sacrifice that you have to make in your life you think you're changing them, but they're going to change you. It's been one of the greatest things I've ever done in my life. Crystal's family has written me letters. Her brother Darwin just a few months ago accepted Jesus as his personal Savior, her whole family, but it just started with one. And I'm asking you today as you leave to pick up a packet, fill out the form, put to death your excuse, turn it in. I'm going to give you a print. I'm going to give you a print, a piece of my art. In fact, it's my little girl, Crystal, a picture that I painted. I'm going to give that to you. You can write your first letter. And I know it's a, a, we're just a couple minutes over, and teachers and staff and, and Corey, I'm, I appreciate your grace. And I know I'm like two minutes over, but here's what I want to tell you. We're going to be over there where I got this coffee this morning in your beautiful little like uh, student area. And so get a packet, fill it out in your next class, and then... 
Bring it back there over your lunch hour. Don't leave with those kids. I need those kids back. I'm, I'm, I am accountable for those children. Those aren't just pictures. Those are lives. I want your yes to be yes. And if you're on the fence right now and you're deciding, I'm challenging you, man. Just see what God will do when you walk towards it, not away from it. He'll equip you. That 38 bucks will show up. Repaint Jesus. Sponsor a kid today. Eastern, Eastern University, that's all I'm asking you to do. To paint a portrait of Christ with, with what you say, no. But more importantly, with what you do. I love you guys. I'm humbled and honored to be at your school. And if I don't have 600 new friends on Facebook by the end of the day, I'm going to be ticked. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait. I want to pray for you. No, thanks. No, what? You want me to say? Yeah, 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 yeah. Before you go, you won't have to scan out, so we'll catch up on the time. That's not a problem. We want to pray for Eric. Um, and what I'm about to share, he shared with me only because he had to, because we're helping him make sure he has meals and things like that. Um, and, I, and he did not ask to share this. He shared it with me privately, but I, I want you to know so we can pray for him now. Eric is in, on day 35 of a 40-day fast. Day 35. So he had to let me know that to make sure we get him the proper juices and things like that to make sure he... Uh, he has been fasting for several reasons. One, he's in the midst of a real heavy tour speaking to groups like this. Speaks to a million people a year. He has been on the road for several weeks. His wife is pregnant with their second child. He's, got, he's driving through the night. So he could be at our event tonight. He's driving through the night to go to Buffalo. So he can be at an event tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. So he's driving through the night to Buffalo. And then several more speaking ages. So he did not want me to... I mean, he didn't say I couldn't, but he, I'm not trying to promote him or glorify him. I'm just saying we need to pray for him. His wife is pregnant with their second child, and they have been through some heartache in the last few years uh, where they have lost three children in, in pregnancy. And so he's praying for her as well and his family as he travels. So can we just close this service? Uh, Eric, who's been a blessing to us, let us be a blessing to him and pray. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Eric and his ministry. We thank you for the anointing that is upon his words and upon his art and the gifts that you have given him. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that he faithfully walks towards the need and travels weeks at a time away from his wife and his son, Lord God, to, to reach out to those in need and, and to, to be a voice, to be a voice for the voiceless. So we pray your blessing and anointing upon him. Keep him safe as he travels over these next few weeks and months and may his latter be greater than his past. Let it be greater than his past and the future you have for him and his wife and his son and this baby-to-be. Will you protect this child, Lord? May the child be, arrive safe and healthy and strong. Give them a peace that surpasses all understanding. Bless his wife today, Lord God. May she sense your presence in real and powerful ways. And as they are apart, may they draw closer to you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for his ministry. We pray your hand of protection upon him, his wife, and his children. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Go in peace. See you tonight. It's a free event. See Eric again.